variously, variously translated, but like the Shiloh, quote unquote, Shiloh promise, right? Yep. Um, but to him, all the obedience of all the nations. Um, and then you have this language of like this, this, this cult, this foal, this donkey's cult, you know, is tied up, which, you know, brings us to like Zechariah 9, brings yep. us to the uh, triumphal entry yep. into Jerusalem, Jesus. John 12. Uh, yep. This typological language of like his garments are, 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 are like colored in red wine um, and so forth. Like, what's that all about? It's, it's like blood language. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's like he's dipped himself in the wrath, you know, of his enemies and our, his, his wrath is like, Dipped his clothes into yeah. the not blood to of unlike Joseph so, that we just saw in Genesis yeah. 37, 38. That's right. So, but like, yeah, unlike Joseph, like this is the actual king, like this is yeah. the actual yeah. savior. Yeah. Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast, a show devoted to bridging the gap to the historic Reformed Christian faith. Listen in as two friends a layman Nick and a pastor Peter discuss core doctrines of our confessional traditions with seminary and college professors, seasoned pastors, and more. These seasonal episodes exist to reach those outside the church, those in the pews, behind pulpits, and in the academy with rich truths of Reformed theology and remind ourselves weekly how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hey, this is Peter Bell, and I am in the beautiful wine country of Central Coast, California, in Santa Maria, north end of Santa Maria, in Santa Barbara County. I serve Redeemer OPC, Redeemer Orthodox Presbyterian Church, on the north end of Santa Maria. We meet at Temple Bethel, which is right there, Temple Bethel, at 11 a.m. for Sunday service and 9.45 a.m., so just before that for Sunday school. For all ages, we have kids Sunday school, adult Sunday school or all Sunday school at 945. You can find us at discoverredeemer.org with one R. Again, discoverredeemer.org. We have a bunch of activities throughout the week. But most importantly, Sunday, we have the gospel preach, the the sacraments administered, and church discipline faithfully brought out. So I hope to see you here at Redeemer OPC in Santa Maria, Central Coast, wine country of Santa Barbara. Hope to see you. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Danny Hyde from the Oceanside United Reformed Church. I want to invite you out to our church. We meet in sunny Southern California, uh, here in San Diego, and we meet at the Army-Navy Academy in Carlsbad, right along the ocean, as you can see, the Pacific. And uh, we meet every Sunday at 10 o'clock in the morning. We uh, hear the Word of God, we hear the Gospel preach, we have the Lord's Supper every Sunday morning, and then we have Sunday school at about noon for kids. We come again uh, together at five o'clock every night, uh, Sunday night, for uh, teaching, prayer, and singing. And then we also have various uh, midweek groups, Bible studies, men's, women's, and also other Bible studies as well uh, throughout the week. So I want to invite you out to worship with us. If you know anybody in the area here in North County of San Diego, uh, invite them as well. Let them know. You can find out more about us on our website, OceansideURC.org, or also on all those various social media. You'll find us as well. God bless. Hey, this is Peter, one of the co-hosts. We're doing something new. All ads will be fronted before the episode for unimpeded listening pleasure. A quick plug for our show, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. Would you consider giving to our show? We are a 501c3 nonprofit, so your donations are now tax deductible. We've got two options to give. One 
Email us at guiltgracepod at gmail.com if you'd like to send a check or use our direct donor link. Or two, go to our show notes and click on our donor box link to give a recurring donation or a one-time gift. You can also click on our Patreon account in the show notes and sign up for monthly exclusives, merchandise, coupon codes with publishers we work with, giveaways for our subscribers, and much more. All donations we're gifted are used exclusively to pursue our mission to bridge the gap to reform Christian theology. Would you join us? Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. Today, we're on a season seven episode, Finding Jesus Throughout the Whole Bible. And it is technically episode three, but we are on uh, the second episode of talking about the uh, second section uh, back half of uh well more than a half of genesis so we're talking about genesis 12 through 50 uh so we are still obviously within the pentateuch which is the first five books of the bible uh written by moses and uh we'll talk more about that um as we go on um just a kind of a quick reminder recap of last episode which is genesis 1 through 11 we're more in the primeval era and now we're in the patriarchal era of uh, 12 through 50. Uh, we're, I know Dr. Hyde will confirm uh, this or not, but around the second millennium BC, maybe uh, is what we're talking about with what we, where we're at in Genesis sure. 12 through 50. Sounds good. Um, yeah. And then, <laughs> uh, so we'll talk more about terms and, and, you know, I know people have heard the terms Torah and uh, Pentateuch and things like that, the law, instruction, those kind of things. So Danny Hyde is our uh, third co-host for all of season seven, and we're going to be jumping into this. And before I do that, just as a moment of um, some new references I've been using, and you guys definitely go into it too, Peter and uh, Danny, but um, I've been reading The Messianic Vision of the Pentateuch by Kevin Chen. Uh, it's been helpful, again, covering the first five books of the Bible and finding Christ throughout that. And then, um, obviously, I've been using uh, my NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible by D.A. Carson. So, let you guys uh, give you guys time to speak. I'll uh, further introduce my two co-hosts today. Both, and don't uh, forget, to our, our social media. So, our, our YouTube, our Twitter, our social media profiles. You guys can find us at yeah. Grace Pod. And then, um, yeah, we'll talk more stuff. We forgot last episode, but um, uh, both so both Danny and I, well, I'm being called to candidate, so not quite a pastor yet, but Danny's a pastor at Oceanside. And we forgot to talk about your your uh, your Greystone Institute courses. So talk, because I think they're, I mean, by the time this comes out, they're like either around the corner or they're starting. So talk a little about what you're yeah. doing for Greystone. Sure. Uh, Greystone Theological Institute. You can find it online. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, this will come out we, January 15th. So when's oh, yeah. the class coming out? So I should have a class um, in the spring. That's the plan. So like hmm. April, April-ish, I, I believe. Um, and it'll be in person. Um, and again, I believe 
like 99% is going to be in Boise, Idaho. Hmm. Um, a couple churches there are hosting uh, a learning community. And so I'll be there in person and people can also join online uh, if they'd like, but um, yeah, class will be on the theology and practice of preaching. So looking forward to that. Uh, Greystone offers, you know, lots of online stuff and conferences and events and classes. Um, there's like a class right now, well, not right now, right now, right now, but not right now when this airs, but um, <laughs> uh, like going through like Augustine's confessions, for example. Nice. So you can do that like in seven weeks. Um, but uh, yeah, we, you know, we offer, you know, masters and MDivs um, through Westminster, Philadelphia, and yep. then uh, THM and Pure, uh, PhD through Puritan. So, but with Greystone uh, courses and instructors, so it's a partnership. Um, yeah, and it's meant to, it's meant to be. You know, there, there's lots of levels to it, but um, my focus is on helping to train pastors, potential pastors, who are you know, quote unquote, embedded, you know, members of a church somewhere like in Boise, Idaho, Hillsdale, Michigan, uh, uh, Dallas, uh, there's multiple like Detroit, some places on the East coast. Uh, we have a learning community now in uh, Philippines. We're hoping to get going. So students who are, you know, embedded in their local church and want to study locally, um, and have a pastor who's capable and competent to be able to guide and direct study, um, whether in person or, or, you know, online and self-directed, uh, but with somebody, but with a, so it's not like you're doing online, it's not online seminary. It's, yeah. you know, you're, you're with a pastor um, and you're doing courses in person, yep. whether it's in Philadelphia or, um, you know, in your local community where I come or another has come and, and yep. teach. So, but yeah, uh, in the spring, uh, look for it online somewhere, Greystone Institute um, in the spring in Boise, theology and practice of preaching. There you go. We'll have a That's link awesome. in our show notes for that as well. I would love to do something like that and be a student of that sometime. If I can work it out for somebody like me <laughs> who has a, uh, who's obviously interested in theology, I'm not looking to be a pastor ever, but just want to get some sort of master's in theology, some sort of degree. Uh, and yeah. I, you know, just based on my, um, where I'll live and, and, uh, life, you know, I'll have another job and things like that. It'd probably be yeah. like online for that, for yep. be something fit for somebody like me sounds right? like a good amount of flexibility for somebody who's in yeah shoes. yeah you yeah. could get a an mar master of Arts religion um okay. if if you wanted to you know an actual degree um it would be you know th via westminster philadelphia um with graystone nice. imprint with graystone imprint yeah and you can do it online um you know mdiv students of course need to you know have a have a local uh pastor yeah. theologian who's guiding them and directing them and studying along with them. But yeah, for master's degree uh, and also the, all, there's also like, just like, you know, uh, like a certificate program as well, like a non academic cool. degree, but you're still doing coursework and you're still doing like, you know, uh, you know, lectures and listening to events and that kind of thing too. So nice. I'll definitely be talking to you more about that offline yep. and throughout <laughs> time and stuff. <laughs> yeah. That'd you can make the short drive from Coeur d'Alene down to, down to Boise. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. A little bit short. A short eight hour <laughs> drive. Yeah. 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 Do they have roads up there in Coeur d'Alene? I don't even know. <laughs> Sorry. So. They just have, <laughs> oh yeah. They just have um, potato lion streets that are <laughs> in, that help bring you everywhere else. <laughs> you notice how Jake didn't respond to that one. He's like, I'm yeah. just going to be able to It's, uh, you like you, you guys are showing how much you don't know about Idaho, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh yeah, it's potato, potatoes. potatoes in the in the blue football field, right? And that's Boise, right. Boise State. That's, that's all. State. 
yeah, that's all South Idaho stuff. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, that's that's uh, all Southern California, Idaho, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, Nor- Northern Idaho is more similar to like Washington State and Montana. Okay. Um, there's no potato really kind of significance up there. Uh, it's uh, it's more of uh, lakes and forests and mountains and there you go. There's no fun stuff. No potatoes. No, way more fun. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the friendly rivalry between uh that those two parts of the state um so it's kind of like also, no cal and socal right kind of <laughs> right. and 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 fun fact about idaho i guess there's only a couple <laughs> but uh <laughs> only a few people in idaho so there could only be a few fun facts uh there's uh two time zones actually so if you're in south idaho it'd be mountain time zone and oh, if you're in north idaho it's pacific time zone oh. so if you're in coeur d'alene uh or any of that up up in the chimney area, as I like to call it. Uh, that's Pacific time zone, so it's like huh. Seattle and uh, hmm. California, and then yep uh, time zone, and then South Idaho uh, is mountain. So it'd be like Denver's time zone. And is that because like North that. Idaho just doesn't want anything to do with South Idaho? So like we're just gonna be in two <laughs> different time zones. There's a lot of maybe some geological factors. Uh, it's a funny shaped state. So anyway. That's right. We can make fun of Idaho all day long. Well, let's let's talk yep. about Genesis. Uh, all right. Yeah, yeah. So this is going to be helpful. And uh, before we recorded, you guys helped maybe because this is a big section. Twelve to f- chapters, twelve through fifty, huge. Yeah. So thirty nine chapters. Yeah. Yeah. To digest it easier, twelve through twenty five is roughly like Abraham's story. Then twenty six through thirty six is Abraham's offspring, primarily Jacob and Esau's story. And then thirty seven to fifty is more the Joseph narrative. Yeah. So let's yep. let's let's jump right in. Um, first question, picking up where we left off at Genesis 11, to connect that, uh, what period of history is God's dealings with His people in Genesis 12 through 50? Uh, more specifically, how does Abraham and the Tower of Babel connect us to Gen- Genesis 12, where we left off? Yeah, Danny, why don't you start this one off, and then I'll I'll uh, I'll join in your reign. Yeah, I think I think we mentioned last time. Uh, if if we didn't, then we'll do it here. Um, so you know we're going from Tower of Babel, where where everybody's you know the everyone again this comes is into like one everyone yeah comes together you know this goes to the whole question of like you know universal versus local flood and you know is this a is this like a universal experience or is this like one local place that that uses universal language? Um, so uh, you know the, the, these all these people groups are gathering. It's one place, right? Uh, this this plane in the land of Shinar uh, and they're making this tower and they're doing it to make a name for themselves and towers, you know, a ziggurat would have been like a ziggurat, right? Some kind of tower structure. Yep. Uh, in those days, this you know, the very top was like, was, was a temple. That's where you yeah. met. There would have been a lot of those in this land, a lot of ziggurats in this land. Yeah. And so like they, you know, they're building this temple structure because this, this yeah tower structure with the temple on top, because that's where you met with the gods and that's how you can reach the gods. And so that's where you, you know, met with the God, not the God yep. met with you. That's right. Yeah. So you built it up, right? And then like the priest is up there. And I, you know, um, if you're if any anyone listening's ever been to like uh like Cancun, Mexico, and you go to like uh oh, see yeah. Mayan yep. uh like Mayan temple structures, right? Um like Chichen Itza and that kind of thing. I was about um, I was about to pronounce that name. I was like, I'm gonna screw that one up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went there and uh you know, you're not able to climb up anymore. So they're like because people have jumped off and that kind of thing, or they've oh, fallen, fallen off or oh so you, like only limited amount of like, of those structures, the lower, the smaller <laughs> ones where they have like guides and they take you up. But yeah, yeah. Fun the very fact, top that was, was a- my wife and I's and or not anniversary. Those are, um, those are honeymoon. 
was there at the top of a temple and you guys sacrificed <laughs> the top was you know we set a picnic table and tried yeah. to meet with god oh gosh um <laughs> so so <laughs> uh yeah so they're making a name for themselves right like it, like i think it harkens back to the temptation of of the serpent to adam and eve to eve and adam um to to become like gods so to have your eyes open to to, you know, to reach the heavens to reach god to make a name for yourself to be like god so uh, the Lord, of course, has other plans, and he scatters people, he disperses them, he confuses their languages, and so forth. And so it's out of that like idolatrous context we mentioned last time, Joshua 9, where Joshua mentions the Israelites that God called Abram uh, from a family of idol worshipers. So we have this whole like universal language of, you know, a universal flood, um, universal scattering. But then now you have this one man. So God is now working. The covenant like idea is now like focusing on one man and then his one family. And then from that, though, the blessing, of course, um, is that through you, through through Abraham and through his seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So that's kind of what we're doing here. Yeah. Or what what yeah. the Lord's doing here. So Babel is all of or language used for all of earth to be gathered into one place and make a name for themselves. And then that is reversed in both the curse of Babel and in the language also given to Abram, where yep. he is told that he will be um, a, a, he, from him will come kings of nations. The blessing of the nations will come. So yep. even after the reversal of the curse in Babel, you give him like a further reversal and then into a blessing on Abram for all these blessings will come upon him and his his family and especially his seed will be the one that will um, find its place through the nations. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, that's good. Um, so the overall flow and narrative structure, could you help us answer that of Genesis as a whole, Genesis 12 through 50? What is the important covenantal dealings? What What is the, how should we read this? Yeah. Maybe well, um, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Danny, you Peter. go first. Okay, yeah, I was just going to say, like, kind of like piggybacking on what we just said, um, you know, the Lord talks there about, um, you know, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's in Genesis chapter 12. And then, like, later on, um, chapter 15, you have this language again of, of offspring or seed is the older, mm -hmm. the older language of seed. Um, and then 17 again, you know, with the covenant uh, circumcision. Um, but this language of seed. Um, mm -hmm. So, again, it goes back to. Genesis 3.15 reminds us of what we've already seen, the seed of the woman that's going to crush the seed of the serpent. Um, and then Paul makes it, uh, Paul makes obviously, you know, a, a huge deal out of this. Yeah, Galatians uh, 3 in, and 4. In Galatians 3, yeah, and 4, that um, even that, that language is quoted, like, it's not to offsprings, it's plural, but to your offspring singular, um, God is going to make this promise. And through that one singular seed, all the world is going to be blessed. Well, Who's that one seed? Well, Paul tells us that one seed is Messiah, is the Lord, Jesus. So, um, like all of it connects to what you know God is doing in his covenant promise to bring that Messiah, to bring that seed, um, you know, champion figure who's gonna crush the serpent. Uh, all it's it's all here, but in like a seed, you know, in a seed form, right? In a smaller, like, you know, beginning form. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And with Abram too, so he's not I think he's not renamed until is it Genesis 17 he's renamed into Abraham. So father of father yep. of nations is Abraham. That's right. Um, but even with even between 17 to 22, we'll call it kind of the 
well, the covenant makings and the signs and stuff with Abraham, yep. you don't get like we we think of Father Abraham had many sons, many sons of Father Abraham, and we kind of think of him mm-hmm. as like a kind of just a purely righteous figure in a sense, like he did all the right things and he got the sign, he believed it, and all, all this went well. And um, through twenty, like we'll we'll go straight from twelve to twenty two and say like, oh yeah, of course, like Abraham was yep. believing in God. He gave up his only son, which sounds a lot like, <laughs> sounds a lot like the father giving up his son um, mm-hmm. and who agreed to be given up for the redemption of us all. But you get two specific episodes of Abraham replaying Adam and Eve's transgression in the garden where um, he gives his wife to Pharaoh. I guess you can say, quote unquote, gives it to the gives, gives his Eve to the serpent and said, Hey, why don't you take her? She's, she's not, she's not actually my wife. She's, she's just my sister. Cause he's afraid yep. if Pharaoh sees his beautiful wife and you can put there like beautiful fruit, which is what it looked like for both Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. He's afraid if Pharaoh saw his beautiful wife, that Abraham will be killed. So he'd rather put up his wife to death than Abraham yep. be put to death. Yeah, which is interesting because that doesn't get as much play, I think, sometimes in preaching Abraham. Yeah, and if he and if obviously if Abraham or if Abram, if he's put to death, well, how done. can yeah. how can the seed promise come come to be true, right? Um, yeah. So, you know, and so Abraham's reasoning is like, well, I got to do something about this. Yeah, <laughs> I got to <laughs> you know, do something like, about this. I got to preserve myself. Yeah, like you know, like from our, you know how we understand the Bible, like this, this is like, this is the, uh, the sin nature, you know, kind of rearing its ugly head. And this is like Abram's way of like doing something like contributing, like this is his self-righteousness. These are his works. Like he has to do something about it. And the same thing, like you're probably gonna mention also like the Hagar, right. Story. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, well, and we should mention, like, you know, he lies about his wife twice. Yeah. Right? There's, and there's... both times immediately after receiving the promise of the covenant. That's right. So, yeah, chapter 12. Um, and then yeah, right uh, after God tells him he's going to bless him, the next story is him going and telling Pharaoh that uh, Sarah is his sister. Yep. Yeah. And then same thing with Benefit 15 to 16, where he's yep. given the ceremony where Yahweh walks through the broken halves in the fire and takes all the curses of the covenant upon himself if he doesn't if he doesn't fulfill this and then right after genesis 15 you have abraham was like well i think i could do it so he goes goes and takes goes and uh takes the servant woman that hagar gives him which again yep. sounds a lot like adam and eve mm. yep yeah and uh I, th- I think we mentioned last time and just you just mentioned right here um just to like bring the significance of genesis 15 when yeah. when the lord gives the reiterates the promise to abram and then he asks, he tells Abram, you know, to, to, to bring these animals sacrifices. Right. And he, and he cuts them in half. Like he ritually sacrifices them yep. and he lays the two pieces, like, you know, it makes kind of like a column. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, cause normally in the ancient Near East, like when a covenant or a treaty was yep. made, this is also the, two, the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah describes yep. this, this covenant ceremony as well. Yep. Yeah. The two parties, like, you know, Peter and I would be like together, like, Hey, we're making this covenant together. You know, and we're going to walk through these pieces together and like we're both saying to each other, like, hey, if I don't keep my end and you're like, hey, if I don't keep my end, yeah. may I be cut in half and may I, may I be, you know, slain. May I like be these like animals. these two sl- sliced halves that I'm walking. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the great, you know, the, and the amazing thing is like in this context, it's the Lord's like tells Abram, I think you mentioned this last time, like, you know, you go take a nap. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
You don't do anything. Like yeah, you don't it's contribute the exact to this same phrase and word used when God or Yahweh puts Adam to sleep yep. and then yep. takes Eve out of his bone. Is that yep. same phrase for when he puts Abraham to sleep and then yep. goes and takes the the covenant stipulation on himself. And yeah, and God's doing all the work, right? Like yeah. God is taking upon In both himself. Cases. Yeah, everything. Um, and I think, and I've pointed this out in the past, like I, this is like another way of what we saw with the rainbow, the, the bow. Yep. Um, where if the bow is pointed upwards and God has taken upon himself like the curse of the covenant. Like if I'm not faithful to my covenant, then I'm going to be shot through. And the same thing here, yep. the Lord's saying like, I'm taking all the, all the negatives, same all exact the curses. ceremony, just different kind of things happening. Yep. Same thing. And, uh, you know, it, which is amazing. It's like, God is doing all the work here, people like, you know, and, and, uh, all and right afterwards, doing is failing each time to uphold the yeah. his, quote unquote, his side of the covenant. So, yeah, and God has just, like, shown Abram, like, he sees it in a vision, this smoking fire pot, flaming torch, which come up again later on in Exodus, the yep. smoke and the pillar of smoke and fire. Um, uh, and then right afterwards, Abram's like, hey, you know, God just gave me this covenant. He showed me this. I did this ritual. He did all the work. He passed through. All the curses come on him. He's so faithful to his promise that he's willing to put himself to death, you know, if that's even possible. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, uh, I'm gonna go take this concubine and have sex with her and and, and make the seed come to come to reality. It's like, yeah. dude, didn't didn't you just see what the Lord did? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, he's that's so impatient. Like, yeah, he's yeah. he's you you can say like he that uh, it's not how do I say this? It's not him disbelieving God so much as he believes in himself. He's like I like okay, thanks thanks God for for this sign and stuff, but I, I think, I think I got it. So like, yeah, there is, there is certain disbelief, but I mean, there's still kind of a seed of belief in what God's going to do, but we still think we can do this. But he's going to, yeah, he's going to contribute something to it. And he's going to like, and I would say like, it shows like, uh, like Abraham or Abram is impatient yeah. because God doesn't always give what he promises like right away. Like this is, like Abram is a perfect example. Like Abram is like a name it and claim it. Like he's a yeah. prosperity gospel guy at this point. Yeah. He's like, Hey, I'm going to claim that promise and I'm going to make it happen, you know? Yeah. Um, but no, honestly, like the Lord think is a lot yeah. of our hearts too. Abraham's yeah. heart is my heart. We're like, you know what, God, Yeah, I, I know what you say is true, but can you give it to me a little faster? Yeah, exactly. Timeline. Like yeah. God gives him the promise, but God does it on his own timing. And it's like, we got to learn to be patient and rest in that. Like, that's what, you know, so the the language of like faith of of resting and receiving is so important for us as Christians, yeah. um, you know, yeah. like yeah, we should identify with Abraham. We really should, yeah. but not just in like the in the quote unquote positive, the blessings, yeah. the good also stuff. Like no, we gotta identify with him and his like he's a sinner just like you and me. Yeah, yeah. If I if I can butt into yeah, sorry, yeah. some... Danny and I are just going for it, but Nick, yeah, Nick needs to talk <laughs> there's to just some some notes I've taken based on uh, just kind of reading. Um, this section as well and again we kind of want to we're focusing a little bit more but not limited to just initially 12 through yeah. uh 25 abraham story but based on what you guys were just talking about i wrote this down earlier is that you know there's i feel like a perceived connection between eve convinces adam to eat the forbidden fruit and then sarah convincing abraham to have a child with hagar his concubine it's the same story but two different eras yeah which is the section we're talking about and then Israel demanding their first king to be Saul. We'll talk about later in uh, later episodes. All not trusting God in his timing, in his ways, instead of doing things our way. Um, so, yeah, there's like extra examples of God's chosen people who we'd say are saved and elect, but they keep messing up and and 
forcing our ways and our terms of yeah. agreement. It's <laughs> as if the covenant of grace doesn't rely on your, my, or Danny's obedience. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> those who aren't looking, Danny just put up a little, like a whoa emoji. Yeah, I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know what that thing's called. But yeah, I thought it was an interesting connection. I've always thought about that when I, when you hear about Sarah, yeah, Sarai telling Abram, Hey, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm barren. I, I can't have a child. I'm old. Go, go sleep with, uh, Hagar, my servant. So we can have this child that we're supposed to be, you know, promised through <clears> your line. <throat> and they think that that's the way they're going to do it. But, uh, it's showing a lack of trust in God's, God's timing. Like you said, Peter, he, he which is all point, of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's also, uh, why I wanted to say Sarah's barrenness becoming pregnant is really improbability in human terms. And it's also pointing to Mary's virginity impossibility in term in human terms to uh, conceiving Jesus Christ, right? Which is exactly what Paul says in Galatians 4, because he uses Isaiah 54, which is a servant song about um, basically Sarah's barrenness. The barren and woman, he yeah. Yeah, he compares, he doesn't, compa I don't think he compares her directly to, to Mary, but he compares um, the two covenants to the barrenness and to the kind of the fruitfulness and saying kind of humans, we look at the fruitfulness and we think that's where we get all of our blessing from. But it's like, you know what, actually the, the covenant of grace comes from barrenness. It comes from human inability, human inability to obey, to do anything according to God's promise. We just believe mm. that's it. Yeah. It's just like the, that overall theme of, uh, we see in scripture lots of times throughout the old Testament foreshadowing Christ, the, the Messiah with a woman who's barren and like an impossibility of a birth. Yep. Um, and then it's like, and then you get to that story uh, in the annunciation, like when the angel tells yep. um, Mary, it's going to happen. She in, and it's amazing. Like to show like there's similarities, there's also contrast because she uh, Mary in faith says, you know, may it be to me as you've said, um, there's a faith there, right? She's trusting that the Lord yep. is going to do this without her uh, consummating her marriage to Joseph. Yeah. It's not that it's um, impossible for her to have a kid, but she has no husband. So she, yep. or she does have a husband, but it's not through her husband that this yep. is going to come from. Yeah. And then that, that phrase that, you know, everybody wrenches out of context and puts it on bumper stickers and t-shirts <laughs> and whatever. It's like, you know, with God, uh, with man, this is impossible with God. All things are possible. Like yeah. that, such a that that encapsulates like the whole covenant that God makes with Abram yep. and Sarai and culminates in the Messiah, their, their seed. Like, hey, mm -hmm. this this is impossible with you. Like, it's not about you taking a concubine. It's not about you like making it happen, doing your own thing. Like, it's not about you covering yourself up with fig leaves. No, the Lord's going to do this work. Like, with God, it's possible. <clears throat> yeah. I got a question for you guys too on this that'll help the audience. Um, I know the answer, but I can't articulate it as well as especially Danny, probably Peter. <laughs> uh, but Thanks. um, why, why he's just seasoned, you know? Uh, but no, I'm sure you guys could do both better than me. But so, uh, why? So just backing up for a second, Ishmael is the child of Hagar and Abraham for the audience. So you guys yep. know what I'm talking about. And Isaac is the child of um, of Sarai and Abraham. So my question is, why is the promise? through isaac and not ishmael I, I could take a stab at this one first because yeah. that's what paul tells us paul paul kind of interprets this for us in galatians mm -hmm. it's because ishmael is a result of human work that's yep. he's, he's the one that abraham and uh hagar 
they uh, <clears throat> they decide to get together and have. And so through human work, through human right. obedience, nothing's possible. That's and yep. also not what, what God had told them. And through um, Isaac is the one who comes from human barrenness, human impossibility. So yep. the gospel of grace comes through human impossibility, not through human possibility. Yep. Amen. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, that's good. Uh, hitting that answer on a, a different angle. So people understand um, that even though Ishmael and Hagar were blessed and taken care of by God, they, yeah, that, that they promise, were. the promise isn't going through. Yeah, she meets an angel at the well and they're taken care of. Doesn't mean that the son is part of the promise. Right. And then I, uh, so tying this really closely to talking about Isaac, such a, a fascinating and scary part of scripture uh, where Abraham is told by God to go sacrifice his son. I mean, and God even calls him his only son where you're like, wait, I thought about what about Ishmael? But anyway, he takes Isaac up and he thinks he's going to sacrifice him. Obviously this is pointing towards the atonement in some way. Can you guys help answer that, that passage where what's going on? Abraham is told by God to go sacrifice his like, Isaac's probably 12 years old, go up there and, and kill him. Um, and then, but the angel of the Lord stops him, obviously, and he sees a ram that's perfect to to uh, sacrifice. So what's going on with that? I'm going to let Danny answer this because he's working on the commentary through Hebrews and Hebrews oh, gives the answer. Yeah. Um, so, he, yeah, I mean, I guess to get to cut to the chase of the New Testament interpretation, uh, Hebrews 11 tells us that... Um, uh, well, I like... People usually like we look at that story and, you know, oh, you know, there's this, you know, there's language of, of son, my only son. Like there's always like, like, uh, like Highly Abraham is language. like, yeah, Abraham's like heaping up all this language. My son, my only son, the son that I love, um, yeah. which is awesome. And then you mm -hmm. have like, um, you know, the, this, this father sacrificing his son. So obviously we see like types and shadows there. Uh, the ram that God provides, you know, um, the sacrificial animal. Um, right there. Uh, but in Hebrews 11, the writer tells us that um, Abraham was willing to go through with it mm -hmm. because he believed that God could raise the dead. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so like, and like, I, I think there's like, just like what Peter just said about like, you know, coming to works, come to grace and, you know, things that we do, things that God does. Like, yeah. I think there's a, there's like, you know, it's not, it's not so subtle, but there's something there about, um, uh, it's not that Abraham was so obedient. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's obedient. Yeah, he yeah. listens. Yes, he believes. But why? He has hope. He, he's going through. Yeah, he, he he's willing to go through trust it because in the promise he, of God. By this point, he knows that Isaac is the seed. Yep. Of the woman, he knows so, God doesn't lie and God doesn't go back on his promise. And God has shown that to him like how many times, right? Because like, you know we don't like we gotta like don't don't forget like when you get from like chapter. Um, well, the, the, the birth of actually the birth of Isaac, um, chapter uh, 21, like yeah, right the actual covenants and so forth are made like this is like 25 years later. Yeah. Like it's only a couple of chapters, but it's like this is like, you know, two decades long time you know, or more after God made the initial promise. Yeah. So he's learned through like hard experience, but also through faith and through God's revelation that this God is able to raise the dead. And so if this God is able to raise the dead, if I do what he says, I know that he's going to raise up Isaac. So he's no, So now at this point, he's kind of like, we see the growth in faith that Abraham has had. 
beforehand, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, God's got his you know, promises, and I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to make the promise come true. I'm going to take a concubine. I'm going to lie about my wife. Like, But then by the end, sort of, you know, of the narrative, towards the end of the narrative, he now is so trusting the Lord that he doesn't do anything other than just obey the Lord um, and trust that God is going to make it happen regardless. Like, hey, God can raise the dead. This God who's made all things out of nothing can raise the dead. And so if I sacrifice my son, I know that God is going to do, like, God is going to do what he said, like, regardless. So, wow. Yeah. That, totally. That's really helpful because a lot of non-Christians, some like people that really dislike to Christianity, you know, love to use that passage yep. to be like, "Oh, would if God told you to kill your son, like told Abraham, would you go through with it?" And they use that to try to pit us yep. into a corner. Yeah, because yep. I think the assumption is Isaac would just be dead, and Abraham trusts that no, God's promise is truer than my, I guess, like my fear of losing my son, because I know if I. If I yep. sacrifice Isaac, that the Lord will raise him up again. Yeah. And I would say like, you know, just as an apologetic point, like to the unbeliever who brings up that objection, which, you know, we probably all heard at yeah. some point or another. Um, uh, like, first of all, I don't think God is going to ask me to do that. No. Um, and they, the secondly, the answer why is because like, I'm not the patriarch of the seed of promise. Like why would God ask me? He asked this of Abram, Abraham, because this is the line of promise. Like there's something specific in particular about this. That's unrepeatable. Um, So no, I don't think I get voices in my head. Like anyone who claims otherwise, like, yeah, they're, they, they probably don't, you know, really have the right God or they, they might be mentally ill. I don't know, but um, God is not going to ask Christians to do this because this is a once for all thing to point forward to Christ. (laughs) Exactly. It's nothing to do with us and our, per- our personal faith. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's not the, like that. I think like we can make it that in our preaching or teaching, like, you know, are you willing to listen to God and you know, how far are you willing to go? And yeah, that kind of thing. That's not what it's about at all. This is about redemptive yeah. history and about the, yeah. the promise of bringing us to a savior, a seat of the woman. Yeah. And and maybe to shown. help real quick. And this is, I would not use this with non-Christians because they're not going to know these categories, but for Christians, maybe the, to train them up a little bit, the difference Two fancy kind of Latin phrases, historia and ordo salutis. Historia is kind of describing the history of redemption. Mm-hmm. And ordo is kind of the, the order of our own salvation. So like we actually, yeah, we, we do in some sense partake of. And this, the sacrifice or the near sacrifice of, of Isaac is part of historia salutis. It's just describing history of redemption, but it's yeah. not kind of descriptive of our own salvific kind of promise or salvific kind of circumstances it is historical and it plays into our understanding of salvation, but is not part of our own kind of salvation experience. Yeah. Like I would say Christian, you're not like Christian. You don't have to prove yourself to God. No, you don't have to do uh, in, uh, in Abraham versus uh, in Abraham with Isaac, like moment in your life in order for you to be secure in your redemption. That's not yep. what it's about at all. You yeah, know, so like get that out of your head. Like, so if an unbeliever asked you, or even it was even if you proven own... for you in the death and resurrection yes. of Christ, that's not, right. You have to do this to prove it to God. So it's like, you know, oh, oh, well, would you go through a sacrifice your own son if God said, uh, well, God wouldn't ask me that, first of all. And secondly, he's already done it. Yep, exactly. Yeah. yeah and, and just <laughs> the done. point, you know, of, of like redemptive history, exactly. Like on the, on the uh, aftermath part of that story, or, or like as soon as the angel of the Lord steps in and says, no, don't do it. Um, because he was always planning on stopping him, and then he provides him a, a 
perfect sacrifice. It's pointing. Yeah, ram he, sacrifice. he says, I, I yep. am the father that's going to provide my son yep. a sacrifice, not you. I'm not going to ask you to do it. And I didn't let you follow through with it. So yep. it's a way of pointing forward to Christ in like a few different ways, which is brilliant. The only yep. way God could get to do yep. it. Yeah. And if, we'll get to it too, but Rams play a pretty big role in the Levitical sacrificial system too. Yep. Which will help yep. us figure out what's happening with Abraham as well. Yeah. I'm just disappointed that nobody busted out Jehovah Jireh, my provider. His grace is sufficient for me, for me, for me. That's, that's a, a song I never learned. Oh, uh, you did? Oh, come I on. Learned the father, I learned the father Abraham. Father Abraham, Jehovah Jireh. Come on now. Come on. Yeah. You're, you're just holier than I am. <laughs> um, well, also, you, you brought up something as important. Like we hear Abraham is called the father of faith. And that's, yep. and, and also the point that Danny and Peter, can you help explain why looking at the history, um, redemptive history with talking about Abraham, how we can see justification as faith alone through a, through how God works with Abraham. Cause it certainly ain't by Abraham's works. <laughs> yeah. Right. He does, he does exactly. nothing to merit what he's been, what he's been told to do. And you get Genesis 15, six yep. and his faith was imputed to him as righteousness yeah, um, and you start looking around. I was like, "Oh, I wonder what Abraham did." And then you realize, like, "Oh, all Abraham basically does is sleeps, lies, and gives away his wife." He's messed up. <laughs> and then, and the Abraham, and the uh, the promise is not based off of Abraham's righteousness. It's based off his faith, and that yep. is imputed to him as righteousness. So work yep. is imputed to him. Obedience is imputed to him. Doesn't come from Abraham alone. Because it shows yeah. that he sins after he was has been saved. <clears throat> Oh, he sends all over the place yeah. from Genesis yep. 12 to Genesis 25. Messes up. Messes up. Yeah. And, and not he only that. He has like that, one act of obedience basically in Genesis 22, and that's essentially it. And also, Abraham's family is pretty dysfunctional. <laughs> we'll get into yep. Abraham's family yeah. even after this. <laughs> I mean, yep. it's not like, oh, this is a uh, everyone is a, a stand up perfect character in the line of Christ. It's like, no, these are messed up sinners like you yeah. and I. You, you get that Genesis. 26 to 36 you're like oh this is this is not a good line this is not kind of the the paragon of faith that i thought it was well yeah, yeah. And bef speaking of that i got two more questions on this first third section so um because this is really important first one you brought it up earlier so this might be a really brief answer but what's the significance of abraham <laughs> this is like it makes me like almost in a weird way laugh when i hear uh how he gave his wife away like why did she why, gave her how twice did she even, not just once yeah how did yep. she even find that to be a good idea oh oh yeah say you're my sister and and then isaac does the same thing what in the heck yeah. is going on here we're They're sinners giving their wives <laughs> away yeah we we wanted to, we, we think we could take the promise ourselves we're like oh i think yeah god promised me but you know what i i can do it too is it because they're fearing man and and thinking that they're going to protect their own skin yeah. by being like, no, it's because yeah, they're, yeah, they're sinners. It's it's because we're all sinners. That's God what we didn't, all do. Yeah, God didn't choose. Uh, God didn't choose holy people to accomplish His holy purposes. God yeah. chose what He had. God used what He had to work with. You know, we might <laughs> he say protects he, His line <laughs> to to do His thing. Like God is going to do His yeah. thing. He's going to have God to protects use His line, even though the yeah. line does not want to be protected. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, because He even tries to give His line away, His yeah. own wife, many times. And, Isaac the same way and God's like nope uh, I'm gonna correct that I'm gonna even speak to you know yeah so we could yeah I guess you could say it's like yes fear of God yes or yes fear of man all that stuff but I mean even foundationally it's it's like all God has to work with our sinners 
So okay. it's not like these perfectly God-fearing people. It's He's got sinners to work with. So that's what we can take away. So before we move on, this is a huge uh, person to talk about First, within this first third. Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. What is going on here? Uh, he blesses Abraham, and uh, he's got a very mysterious uh, description about him. He's a king of Salem, which is... Uh, free- it going forward is going to be ju- translated to Jerusalem. Uh, so what's going on? Melchizedek, a lot of people, it might be the first time people have even heard about him. So I won't over explain. I'll let you guys introduce him to the audience and how he points to Christ. Most importantly. Well, uh, Hebrew seven says he points to Christ because <laughs> um, he has no yeah, we father. Have, we have answers the new Testament to help us with the old Testament. <laughs> yeah, 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 answer exactly. a question. <laughs> answer it. I mean, so he just shows up and he, um, yeah, he's the priest of Salem. He's king of righteousness. Yep. Um, or no, right? yeah. Um, and the Hebrew seven tells us that, you know, he has no father or mother, no genealogy. Well, why does Hebrew seven say that? Well, you know, the simplest answer is this, because the text doesn't say that. Yeah, it just doesn't like describe any where he comes like everybody, everybody in Genesis so far, like has a genealogy. Yeah. Like, you know, there's lines of genealogy, right? Like we've seen that last time. Like there's all these genealogy lines outside of Adam. Everyone has a genealogy. And then all of a sudden this guy shows up and we're never told about his, you know, where does he come from? Like no father, no mother, no genealogy. Um, And then that's why Hebrew seven says, you know, he doesn't have beginning of days or end of life. Cause like everybody else, like Genesis five and he died. He lived this many years and he died. Like Melchizedek, we're never told that when he was born, how many, how long he lived, yeah. uh, when he died. So according to the, like just closely reading the text, yeah. no father, mother, genealogy, no beginning, no end. Um, was he a Superman? Did he show up out of nowhere? Is it the son of God and human? Fl- no, like the text that never tells us that it yeah. just, so there are th- authors like arguing from silence yeah. to say in these ways, he resembles the son of God. Um, and, and then he goes on to say like, Hey, uh, Abraham gave tithes, t- one tenth of his spoils to Melchizedek in the line of, uh, in the loins, in the seed of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 sons was Levi. Yep. Therefore through that, that reasoning, Levi himself, the line of the old Testament priesthood gave tithes to Melchizedek. Uh, Jesus is a priest, not according to the order of levi because he's yeah. from the tribe of judah yep. but jesus is a priest in the order of melchizedek oh and by the way levi is less than melchizedek melchizedek is greater than levi therefore the the, the priesthood of christ the melchizedek melchizedekian priesthood uh, is greater than the line of levi's like that's the whole like thing that he's trying to prove yeah um you know so he he's a type and a shadow of the son of god you know we don't have to even say he's a uh, like the son of God, in, or yeah, I mean, we can say that. We don't have to say that. Yeah, um, I think you know, just without even saying that, we still see that he resembles, as Hebrews yeah. seven says, the son of God, <clears throat> and he points forward to a greater priesthood to come. Um, that's not going to need sacrifice for oneself. Uh, that's not going to come to an end. Uh, he has this this like endless life, yep. and so so does Jesus because he was raised in the dead. Yeah, mm-hmm. only tiny little thing I'd add to it. Um, I think Danny said that better than I ever could have putting all Psalm 110, Genesis 14 and Hebrew seven all together wrapped up in one. The only, only three places that is, he's mentioned the whole Bible, right? That's, <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Yeah. The only thing I would add is Jesus in order for him to be a priest after Melchizedek can't be born 
of the line of Levi because the line of Levi is the one that like continually dies and can only offer yep. sacrifice until he That's dies right. versus the line after the order of Melchizedek comes not from Levi nor comes from any generation before yep. or after him. So he can make a forever sacrifice versus the Levitical priest can yep. only make temporary sacrifices. Yep. Even in, even in, the line he comes from connotes an eternal sacrifice versus yep. temporary sacrifices. Yep. Yeah. Good stuff. We we don't need to talk about all the debates about who Melchizedek is. Is is like it's it's as far as the point of but basically nobody knows actually, who Melchizedek is. It's yeah, just nobody does. <laughs> Some people think he's the pre-incarnate Christ. Some yeah. people just like, but we can chalk it up as he is definitely pointing to Christ in yeah. a very definitely. important way. Yeah. Um. But uh, we can you can just kind of stop there and, and he's like he's that. like the tom bombadil of the lord of the rings <laughs> like nobody really knows who he is that's right you're given just enough information to where it's dangerous to start looking into all these <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so he points to him in a very important way so going on um I want to talk about uh, Genesis 26 through 36, more Abraham's offsprings, primarily mm -hmm. Jacob and Esau. Um, this is actually something that I find is, and many people find interesting, is there's repeated themes of siblings early in the Bible and throughout, mm -hmm. uh, specifically brothers even. Uh, first, it's Cain and Abel, then yep. it's Isaac and Ishmael, then it's Jacob and Esau, and then Joseph and his 11 brothers. Yep. So what's God telling us here through is this like sibling rivalry? Is it just <laughs> all brothers <laughs> shouting in one are like, amen. Yeah, we hate our brothers. <laughs> <laughs> so Jacob and Esau, what's going on there? <clears throat> How's it point this in the further line going towards the line of Christ? I'll, I'll start with a quick Peter? little yeah. That's um, I think a uh, first and foremost, you like you basically have a repeat of Cain and Abel with uh, Jacob and Esau. Not the exact same thing, but I mean, you have you have a lie from um, uh, uh, Jacob, and Esau is kind of the the hairy one, and he so he puts on. I, I think I have these names right. I don't have the Bible in front of me, so I don't have the answer sheet in front of me. But and just so you guys know, Jacob and Esau are Isaac's. Uh, yeah, correct. Children. Yeah. Yep. So you yeah yep. you have sibling strife, which then leads to not one who dies and another one who does, but one who's scared of being killed by Esau, so he runs away. To a foreign land, which is not too dissimilar than what you get from Cain and Abel, although Cain does kill Abel, and then Cain runs to a foreign land. So you have you have a lot of parallel stories, and so you kind of, you kind of wonder is the same thing happening all like is history repeating itself? Is is sin repeating itself through this line again? Okay, yeah, I mean I would agree with that, and uh, <clears throat> you know I, I I I've always when I've taught preached through Genesis said that the story of Abraham is shows us about faith and the struggles of faith and how justified sinners still are sinners after being justified. Um, and then the story of, uh, of Jacob, I mean, I, Isaac gets kind of like short shrift um, <laughs> yes, yeah. in the narrative. He gets kind of passed over, but um, the story of Jacob is the story of like, like the, the invincibility, the, 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 uh, the, the irresistibility of God's grace. Yeah. <laughs> like he runs as far as he can run away from Esau and he's just, you know, he's afraid and so forth. And his whole life has been like, you know, he's wrestled in the womb. He's like grabbed a heel. Like yep. he's, you know, there's all this like stuff about him. Um, and, uh, but it's about God's grace. Like God he's pursues him. Consistently pursued by Yahweh yep. over and over, even after he does so many dumb things to the point where like, 
so strangely like god wrestles with jacob yeah genesis 32 yeah like yeah, what's why, that all about why is his name <laughs> yeah. changed to israel what's that yeah all about? that's maybe like <laughs> so i actually heard a really good episode this is maybe two and a half years ago from white horse inn uh shane rosenthal talked about um jacob's wrestling and then the touch of the angel on uh on the, the hip on the hip which is yep. kind of like a hip socket kind of like a hebrew euphemism euphemism for your groin that's like yep. your your uh your generative parts i yep. won't go i won't go further than that so he gets touched on his generative men have been parts hit there yep. once <laughs> twice before <laughs> blanks whatever <laughs> that's right yeah yeah so that's and that's kind of put in when he gets that he gets maimed. And so there's, there's kind of a biblical theological point too, where like, that's, that is where the, his seed comes from. And that is where yep. he's maimed by this angel. And like, I mean, for real listeners who are, who are, who are listening right now. And for us, like, who do you like, I mean, legit, like who do you think is actually going to win between a fight between Jacob and a freaking angel? Like that's, yeah. All day, every day, that's an angel. Like angel's gonna win. That's like they're like they're gonna beat humans. But the angel takes the loss to yep. Jacob, which is kind of strange. Well, and again, an angel of the Lord, a lot of people say, is actually the pre-incarnate Christ. That well, Jacob does discussion. say that he saw the face of God. Yep, he, yeah. Jacob right? says it himself. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't think it's a far stretch as a Christian to say this is the pre-incarnate son. Yeah. This is the son of God before the his incarnation. The text tells us pretty close to it then i think we're relatively but god so so god is wrestling and god yeah god takes the l yeah which is like yeah. what's that all about yeah that's he's he's the one who's takes the l and then blesses jacob yeah so like oh that's kind of sounds a little similar to god on the cross quote unquote yep. taking the loss it. being be, taken taking the, the the defeat quote unquote from humans and then blessing humans in his defeat yeah, and yeah. just to point it back to Abraham, like, yeah, God, like, he blesses him. He changes his name. He's keeping that line of promise going, right? Like, that's the big point is, like, the Lord is doing this strange story. is all about, again, like, this, that the line of the promised seed is going to come through yeah. Jacob. And Jacob, at he, this point, yeah. Jacob is running. He's, like, he's not yeah. he's not obeying what he's supposed yeah. to be. He's, he's running, and then the angel catches him in the middle of the night. <laughs> Yep. In the right. midst of his rebellion, it's showing yep. you God is going to fulfill his purposes, whether we like it or not. Yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah. this is not about like how are you going to wrestle angels in your life and how yeah. are you going to like wrestle blessings from God? It's like, no, this is you in the midst of your rebellion. In the when you're farthest, you think you're farthest away from God, God still comes and then he shows you his scars and says, I have taken the defeat for you. Let yep. me bless you. Not only yep. that, I don't know if we brushed over it, but Jacob was a scoundrel. He cheated. He he really tricked and cheated his uh, yeah. blessing from yep. out of Esau, giving him a pot of stew and, and making him. I mean, Esau kind of fell into it. Obviously, he sells his but, firstborn rights for a pot of stew. But yep. then he tricks his father Isaac to, uh, you know, it pretends to be has a hairy. Sound, yep. and, and Sounds and a little Rachel. like the serpent to me. Sounds a little bit like somebody who's trying to trick for a blessing. He's a sinner. Like, that's the point, right? He's a sinner. <laughs> exactly. God saves sinners. Like, if people yeah. don't understand that yet, like the Christian faith is that God saves <laughs> yeah. sinners. And you, you know, we who are like, that's like, that's me. That's I'm a who are a yep. rebeller against God who runs so, away against God. Even though I trust God, I still yep. run against God. And Jacob runs against God. He essentially believes nothing. And then he is touched in the hip by the angel. The angel is like, yeah, yep. I, I'll take a loss from you, but then I'm going to bless you and name you 
Israel. Yep. Like, and what's his name heck? changed? What's the significance of his name? I mean, we go to Abraham, then becomes Abraham. Mm-hmm. We go Sarai becomes Sarah. And why why does uh Jacob become Israel? Why why is his name changed that way? Maybe I'll take a stab and see if if Danny agrees with me. But it's I think this is also <clears throat> this this goes a little bit. I, I don't know how to describe this. I don't mean editing so much the Pentateuch, but like you look at Jacob and you see a little bit of Israel in the wilderness. You see them running away from God. You see him and a single person kind of representing um, a whole people. And you see the same thing with Israel in the wilderness. You see them, a corporate people uh, picturing us as sinners, a single, a single sinner. You see the same thing, but reverse with Jacob. Yeah. Yeah. And um, cool. Any more comments on, you also got Jacob's ladder, which is a whole big thing. Oh yeah, too, which is <laughs> Genesis twenty-eight. Yeah, which is we skip that one. Yeah, when Go he sleeps it. on a rock, he's he goes to again. This is I've I've already hearing this from Doctor Horton on White Horse Sand and in class. A lot of good things happen when humans can't do anything. When we're when That's we're what... asleep, like all all the I'm good sleeping. stuff that God promises us, or when not, humans are knocked out. Go take a nap. Everybody, <laughs> and he so sees like the, the Jacob, yeah, the Jacob's ladder. Um, I mean, ladder first of all is problematic. Um, because this last it, time we kind of see something like this is the Tower of Babel. It's Tower of Babel, like so. He has this dream of like what are the staircase thing, ladder, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, you it's know, essentially would, the same thing. I, I, I think it's yeah. It's basically he sees he has this vision of this this uh, ziggurat. Yeah. Um, this you know looks like a staircase, a walkway, whatever you want to call it, up, up to heaven. Um, and the amazing thing is, of course, it's the Lord. Um, and there's Who is at the variant. top of it? There's textual variant, and there's like different tra- way to translate the words. But like either the Lord's at the top of it, or the Lord's next to next yeah. to Jacob. Yep. Um, but the point is, like, it's the Lord who's this who's descending. Yep. It's the Lord who's coming down, not humans um, ascending to Yahweh, but Yahweh descending. Yeah. So it's the opposite of. Uh, yeah, he reverses the Tower of Babel. Babel. Yeah, in Genesis, it's the opposite of like any human works. It's God who reveals Himself and says, "This is not a staircase up to me. This is a staircase down to you." Yeah, and God comes down, and you know the language again of like blessing, being with Him, uh, so on, so so on, so forth. Like, and that's why when Jesus in John chapter one, uh, I think I think it's in John chapter one, isn't it? Um, where he, where he where he says, uh, I think isn't it to Nathaniel? He says. Uh, Oh, I should have had this written down, uh, but you're going to see the angels, of, angels of God ascending and descending yeah. upon the Son yeah, of Man. Yeah, it's the. Yeah, sorry, I I just preached on this. Yeah, this is John one like one fifty one, right? Uh, John one like fifty ish. One fifty one. There it is. Yeah, one fifty one. So like, yeah, he tells yeah, Nathan, he tells the Nathan. Yeah, yeah, and Nathan's yeah, the but, one who had just told or just told Jesus, "Does anything good come out of Nazareth?" That's and right. Jesus responds. Um, basically approvingly and telling him that he has no deceit and then tells him about uh, Jacob's ladder with the son of man attached to it. Yeah. He's like, Oh, does anything come out? Of, does anything come good out of Nazareth? He's like, Oh, I'll tell you what comes out, what comes good out of Nazareth. The son of God, son of man. Yeah. yeah. Coming down to you. Yeah. <laughs> son of man coming down to you. Like the glorious God, like of Daniel chapter seven is coming down to you and angels are ascending and descending. Like, and he's, and that's the crazy thing. Like the metaphor gets switched. Like Jesus, the son of man, Jesus is the ladder. Yep. He is the staircase like he, he is, is our ascent to to the Lord. So, you know, as he says later on, like, I'm the way, right? I'm the way, truth, life. Like mm-hmm. Jesus is the way and the angels are ascending and descending upon him. This is crazy. Yeah. So, yep, there you go. And oh, again, beautiful. who is this ladder 
uh, envisioned to. It's not the not the righteous one who is, deserves, quote unquote, Yahweh's visitation. But it's again, Jacob had just left, I think, from fleeing from Esau. And then he sees this vision after falling asleep on a rock. Yep. And then Yahweh's like, I'm with you. To the freaking rebel, he says, I'm with you. Yep. <laughs> good, good. Uh, so we've talked a lot about, obviously, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And now uh, we're going to talk about going into the last section of 37 through 50. J- Joseph one. now. Yeah. Jacob's 12 sons. Yep. We hear about the 12 tribes of Israel. That's clue yep. right there. But including the two really important ones there, uh, Joseph and Judah. So this section of Genesis 12 through 50 is all about one family, obviously Abraham and his family line, how it continues on all the way to Jesus. And we're included into that. Uh, We are sons of Abraham's our father. (laughs) Uh, We are children by the, by the uh, faith, by the spirit. Um, So what's the, let's, let's talk about uh, Joseph and, and Judah actually, but the, the narrative of uh, Joseph's story in 37 through 50. Yeah, maybe I'll start this off real quick and and I'll just do a quick little like a yeah, transition. But you get yeah, you get Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, then you get Jacob and Esau in Genesis 26 and 27, and then you get Joseph and his brothers in Genesis 37. And to be honest, Joseph kind of sounds like a little bit of a dweeb because he tells his he tells his brothers <laughs> like I got these great visions. He like be I mean be real if if your brother were to tell you, like, you're going to bow down to me, I can't imagine you're like, this sounds pretty good to it's me. It's like a little spoiled brat that yeah, he's like, Adam is. He does, I mean, <laughs> of course, these are visions from Yahweh, but, like, yeah. think about it from the, from his brother's perspective. That's, like, I, I can imagine being a little frustrated and, like, yeah, you kind of think highly of yourself. But there is, like, there's strife between brothers again. You have, yep. you have this thing replayed over and over again that the, the seed they come and have strife with one another once again to kick off the end of Genesis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, agreed. And uh, I'm just surprised you didn't mention his technical dream coat, but yeah, there you go. Yeah, I know. I was waiting That's... for that. It just shows that he's, da- he's daddy's boy and uh, his yeah, favorite and he's his favorite a yeah, he... brat. If I'm not, but... and I've ever reading this, we get, I actually got this from two sources. The guys, it's either Matt or Sam Amati. I forget which one wrote um, from prisoner to prince, which is in the the new studies in biblical theology series, which is a fantastic book, which is Genesis thirty seven to fifty, and then Jim Hamilton's typology book, and he covers this as well. I think he talks. I don't have the Hebrew in front of me, but I think he talks about the Technicolor coats is a is like a kingly kind of throw. It's like a, it's a purple it's a purple cloak. It, it it uh it's placed on like the the like the firstborn, the one who's going to receive all the privileges, yep. the one who who's going to rule and reign. Yeah, but so yeah, I mean, obviously he's like antagonizing them. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a little brat, but then, <laughs> right. but then they're also jealous. Yeah, they're jealous, right? And so, like, just like Cain, they're jealous. It's exactly that, the same story. Yeah, you know, Cain was jealous that Abel was the sacrifice was accepted, and in this case, the brothers are jealous that you know yeah. Joseph been accepted by his by the father more than they have. Which is yeah, Esau uh, has the firstborn um, right, yep. and so Jacob gets jealous of Esau, and so he's like, "Hey, yep. sell it to me for a bowl of lentil soup." So the, same yeah, thing, and, like, and, like you said, with Jacob, with Joseph and his brothers. Yep, and they're going, you know, they're, they they had this plan to to kill him, 
but then it's Judah who who has the you know Judah's less, lesser of a sinner, right? Judah's like a better <laughs> a better sinner. Um, he comes up with like the more like uh, like clean version. He's like, well, let's not kill him, but like let's sell him into slavery. At least let's at least make some money off this guy. Yeah, you know, which is that like, better or? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they sell him into slavery, and it's like, yeah, he becomes, he becomes a slave. You know, um, yeah. First but, of all, yeah. the Midianite traders, and then those Midianites, those who are Ishmaelites, by the way, like that's what a Midianite yeah. was, was an Ishmaelite. Oh, yeah. Um, the line of Ishmael. Yep. So they then go down to Egypt and sell him into uh, slavery into Potiphar's house as a household slave. Oh, and this, the story of Potiphar, if, if, if I'll put this spoken, I've thought of it just now. Danny, have you read Robert Alter's work on, on narrative? Uh, yeah, a long time ago. It is like, it transformed the way I looked at Joseph especially with how Joseph is, Joseph is treated. And then he starts looking a little different than the patriarchs before him because he does something very different than Abraham does. Where Abraham gives away his wife and Joseph is presented by the Pharaoh's daughter. I forget, or Pharaoh's wife. I forget the relation um, oh. for, uh, for, I think it's Tamar. I think I, I don't have the, again, I, this is straight from memory, um, but he's offered basically to have sex with a woman who's in a very high power. Yeah. Potiphar's and, wife. Yeah. Potiphar's wife. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, he's offered. Yeah. By Potiphar's wife. Well, yeah. Hey, take from me. She sounds yep. a, a little, a little like Eve or the serpent. Like, Hey, take from my tree, my fruits. This is free. This is yours. This is, I'm going to give you this good stuff. And you expect like everybody else for Joseph to take it. And then he doesn't. Like, yep. Oh, this is a little different. And he yep. experiences suffering for that uh, temporary. Exactly. Yeah. He experiences yep. suffering because then she sells him out because she, I think she yeah. takes a fringe of his garment, I think. Yep. She, yeah. He, he runs away. She grabs his garment. He's a little shred of it. Potiphar comes back house, home. She's like, hey, this, so I, I, you know, this, this guy broke in today and tried to rape me. Yeah. Uh, you know, who? And he's like, oh, this person I wears this garment. And they find out it's Joseph and yeah, throw him into the, throw him into the gulag. Yeah. So for his, yeah, you could say for his righteous act, his righteous decision, <clears throat> unlike Abraham, who was unrighteous, of course, throughout his, and so is, I mean, so is Joseph, but he chose a righteous act. But for his righteous act of not taking, quote unquote, from the fruit of the tree, which is from Tamar, not taking her into his, into his bed, he's, he suffers. He goes yeah. down. Which yeah. then it sounds a little like somebody we know, but yeah. then God yeah. uses that in. Uh, obviously, Joseph doesn't stay in prison, and he has dreams and stuff, and gets cut. Brought. If out, I'm not but... mistaken, too. I think he's thrown down into prison too. There, like there is, yep. like there's yeah. descending the language. language. Of, yeah, yeah. The the language of going down. Yeah. Is uh, like so his, like it's metaphorical. His status has gone yeah. down. Like I mean, he's a slave, and but now he's even lower than a slave. Like he's a, uh, prisoner. he's a prisoner. Yeah. Right. And like everybody, everybody in this prison, like is basically on death row. Yep. Um, so like the awesome thing is like, you know, if you're just reading a story, you know, you never read the, you never read the whole story yourself yet and got to the end. Like if you know the end, it may, it makes more sense. Like Joseph cannot die. Yep. If he dies, the line of Israel is dead. Done. Yeah. So like, you don't know that going in, but like, as you read the story, it comes clearer at the very, very end where it's like, you know, what you meant for evil, God meant for good to preserve, to preserve, right? People. Yep. Um, so like he has to survive. So he's, he's, he can't die in that his brothers can't kill him. So they, they don't kill him. They kill an animal. They spill his blood all over his technical dream coat. Mm -hmm. Get the dad. Dad thinks he's yeah. dead. Some of the slavery, the Midianites don't kill him. 
gets sold to the Potiphar's, Potiphar's house. Potiphar, you know, his wife, uh, he, gets, he didn't get killed right away. No. He gets thrown in prison. Which can you imagine, like, like, if somebody sleeps with Potiphar's wife, I have to imagine, like, he's dead on the spot. Yeah, yeah. And, like, so he gets put in this prison, and there's, like, there's people there, and, like, all of a sudden, he's he somehow gets this gift from God to interpret dreams. Yep. Um, and and then these prisoners have these weird dreams. Yep. Um, and he's interpreting these dreams, right? And eventually, like one of these dudes, like literally gets his head taken off, right? His head's lifted up. So he's like, wondering, is this about to happen to our friend Joseph? Yeah. So it's like you think Joseph is toast, like, um, but the whole thing is like, so he gets put down, then he gets raised up, um, but you know, like. Like if you know the end, like you know the you can understand the beginning. Like he has to survive. God, quote unquote, has to preserve him mm-hmm. to preserve the line. Mm-hmm. You know, and so goes you know as it goes with Joseph, so it goes with the line. So mm-hmm. it's really awesome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so he goes. He literally goes from uh, he's the righteous one whom the promise comes through. He's yep. sold for his righteous act of obedience, not taking the fruit. He's pushed down into the earth. Like again, the yep. kind of metaphorical yep. descending. Into, he's buried. He's yeah, buried. into the depths of into the depths of hell, into the depths of sin yep. and suffering, and with other of people who are dying, like literally they're dying in front of him. And then he's saved or he's ascends back up to the yep. right hand of yep. the person in power. That's right. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a- you start seeing like you start seeing why the biblical authors talk about Christ's uh, righteousness, his obedience, his death, resurrection, and the way that they do, and how the psalmists talk about Sheol and the depths and Hades, yep. the way that they do as well, because they're reading these stories and they're like, Oh, I see what's going and on. And even the language of like Joseph has all authority and power in the land of Egypt. Yep. Given and given so, like, to him by, yeah, uh, the all authority has been given to him. <clears throat> he, yeah. You know, in his, in his resurrected ascended state, like he's ascended up out of the earth and he's now at the right hand. All yep. authority is his. Yeah. Like he can do whatever he wants. Yep. He's the Prince Which, of Egypt. Yeah, and yep. that's and that's you, oh, no, no, another movie reference. Prince of Egypt. Yeah, I, I was thinking about it. it's <laughs> yep. hard yeah. not to think of the cartoon. But so you get that Christians. you get the commandment given yep. to Adam that you be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and have dominion over it. Like you're the one who exercises authority. And at the end of Genesis, you finally do get somebody who starts exercising some of this authority yep. because he starts becoming, you can say, obedient to his his uh, the righteous call of God. Yep. Mm, okay. A couple questions here. Um, the, there's obviously 12 uh, children from Jacob slash Israel. So it's like, oh, yep. that connects. Like Israel, the man Israel had 12 sons. Oh, 12 tribes of Israel. That makes sense. The, yep. the eldest is Reuben. Um, a lot of them are like half siblings because of uh, he had two different wives. But Reuben and two concubines. Oh, Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't forget the concubine. We kind of brushed that, over there's the that whole thing story. again. Yeah. yeah. But um yeah. But uh my question is uh we obviously see the preserved story of redemption pointing to Christ through Joseph, but then what about Judah? Yeah. His brother Judah. There's nice. there's that significance pointing to Christ. You get Genesis 49 too with the, yep. the promise to Judah. Yeah, so is it from Joseph Judah. or is it is is Jesus through the line of Judah or Joseph? Yeah, through the line of Judah, but Joseph so then, is the Joseph is also a typological. I mean, yeah. we can say you know Saul is typological of Christ. Yep. You know, it's not just the actual line people; it's people like there's lots of types and shadows of a coming yeah. king and savior and whatnot. So, okay. <clears throat> but yeah, Judah is the line uh, through which Jesus comes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and you know that's the line of the kings that's what mm-hmm. genesis 49 tells us mm-hmm. um and there's that language of like the scepter not departing um and then it had but and then like peter mentioned earlier there's a lot of euphemism in, in that's cleaned up in the english but it says like you know <laughs> the, the scepter won't depart from judah you know the ruler <laughs> staff from between his feet <laughs> like what be, what does that mean between his feet it means his genitals yeah like this is generous seed, power. like yeah through the seed of judah king, the king the line of the kings is going to come <clears throat> um yeah sometimes our, and, our english translations smooth out yeah what they perceive well, is PG. kind of uncouth language and you're like no yeah. actually we kind of need that language to figure like out adam, like adam knew his wife like that language of knowing like yeah that's what it yeah. says yeah da is a hebrew like but yeah no but like, what does that mean like they had Boy, just... they had sex yeah like <laughs> exactly they knew each other in the most of most personal of ways like us yeah. cleaning up this language so, yeah it makes it harder for us to see some of these connections to what the bible is yeah. doing so yeah, that line of the kings is not going to depart from between his feet, from his seed, mm-hmm. uh, until variously, variously translated, but like the Shiloh, quote unquote, Shiloh promise, right? Yep. Um, but to him, all the obedience of all the nations, um, and then you have this language of like this, this, this cult, this foal, this donkey's cult, you know, is tied up, which you know brings us to like Zechariah nine, brings yep. us to the uh, triumphal entry yep. into Jerusalem, Jesus. Uh, yep. this typological language of like his garments are, are 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 like colored in red wine um and so forth like what's that all about it's it's like blood language like it's mm-hmm. it's like he's dipped himself in the wrath you know of his enemies and our he's his wrath is like dipped his clothes into yeah. the not blood to of unlike joseph so, that we just saw in genesis yeah. 37 38 that's right so but like yeah unlike joseph like this is the actual king like this is yeah. the actual yeah. savior yeah um, so we're getting yeah, like kind of prefigured it and then Genesis yeah. 49 and 50 like points of the king. And yeah. then even like God told Abram, I think it was in chapter 15, like like you mentioned earlier, Peter, like kings are going to come from Abram, mm-hmm. like lines of kings and na- kings of nations and so forth. Yeah. So like and you get that promise in Genesis 49 that like this yeah. is actually going to happen. It's actually going to happen. Like so like we're getting a little like the, the flower of the promise is like opening up more. You're starting to see more of the petals like, hey, yeah. the, the seed of the woman is going to be like the the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, uh, who's going to bless all the world. How is he going to do that? Well, he's going to be a king. Like there's just now now this king promise like gets gets like I don't say added, but it starts to it starts to like fill That's itself out. Yeah, it doesn't come to reality until later on, of course, with Saul. It just uh, becomes and clearer and clearer what's happening. Yeah. But like you're okay. seeing more of the promise, like of the Messiah. Yeah, I just wanted to address that because uh, some people might thinking wait wait a minute uh christ came through judah is uh one of jesus's earthly fathers not joseph but joseph was a typological real person uh his story is pointing typologically to what christ is uh to do in redemptive history but judah uh joseph's brother is the line of kings Uh, so not to read more into it but i just want to clarify yeah yeah. So people understood if they totally. so they're not confused or anything. Well, you get to Genesis 49 because Joseph is the one who lives through his yep. his sufferings. Yep. And yeah. And it's raised up to the right hand of Pharaoh with dominion yep. over the earth. And then you get the Genesis 49 promise. You can say, I guess, yep. as a result of Joseph's obedience. Yeah. Joseph, like God, the Lord preserved, saved Israel because of Joseph. Through yeah. Joseph, on behalf of Joseph, and you know what the Lord has done through him. So, 
Yeah, and then you get to that promise of 49, and it's just amazing. So there's been, yeah, I don't I don't know how much stock to put into this, but I think there has been a few like a, a little bit of scholarship on Jesus' earthly father with Joseph and some of the connections between end of Genesis and with Joseph's name being Joseph. There's been yeah. there's been some connections that I guess scholars I, I don't know how much you want to put stock into it, but it is pretty interesting that Joseph's obedience at the end of Genesis 50 is somewhat there with Joseph being the earthly, not the seed father, but the earthly father of, of Jesus come the new Testament. Ah, and yeah, Joseph, uh, Jacob's son, Joseph, we're talking about in Genesis, isn't the seed father of, uh, Jesus either because it's Judah. So you're just seeing two that both Joseph's in scripture are not seed human fathers of Jesus. This is why you got to read a whole Bible in the context of itself, even though it's hard, you got to read the whole Bible or else these things get lost. Anyway, uh, I want to move on to something else. Um, Two more brief, brief questions. They're more statements and then you guys can comment, but um, we see towards the end of Genesis 50's last chapter, but um, not at the last verse or anything, but that, but within Genesis 50, you have uh, the uh, verse talking about what man meant for evil, God meant for good. Mm -hmm. So what, one of the most powerful verses and messages in the whole Bible, and it's something as Christians, like we think about a lot um, through times of struggle and and meaning of what's going on in the world and um, providence and that kind of thing. So how, it, how, why is it important that Genesis closes is with that message pretty much in Genesis 50 when we started with the origin story in Genesis 1? I mean, Wait, I just any answer this yeah. well. I want to see him answer it again. I was just going to say that I, you know, when I preach on this. um it's interesting to me at least that the story of the creation story yeah every day of a creation it's god good. saw what he had made and it was and it was good and at the end of the creation week it was very good mm-hmm. um but yet there's the serpent there's eve there's adam they've brought evil into the world um and so it ends like it's not that this oh, story is necessarily connected to that, but like it begins yeah the, the yeah the idea of like hey this whole like the entire like this is their like his brothers meant evil and god meant it for good but like it's also true of everything like that god yeah. god turns god is able even to turn like the most wicked things towards the good meaning the salvation of his people whether it's a famine whether it's um you know f- fearing a, a pharaoh uh whether it's like taking matters in your own hands to try to make god's promises come true whether you're Jacob, you're running away from literally running away from God. Uh, God has to find you and wrestle you at the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. everything mm-hmm. that is meant for evil um, because of our sinfulness as as a human race. Like God is able to turn it to good. Doesn't mean he always does, yeah. but mm-hmm. it means that he's able to. And in the case of his people, like for his redemptive purposes, he does turn even the wicked things yeah. for good. So the murder of his very own son Jesus, people meant it for evil, but yet God meant it for good. Yeah, so maybe to, to help with this a little bit, it's because you want to keep it in context first and not kind of rip it and say like, oh, this is a problem. Of course, this is a promise for all people. Um, but you want to keep it in context first and see what is the good and what is the evil that are being described. And that's that's the seed. Yes, yep. the seed will not be destroyed. What people are trying to do will be thwarted and God's good purposes will come through. And then you can apply that to us kind of kind of through that lens. But what I also wouldn't do is like, I think some people have done this and I think 
like the right hearts are there, but somebody's in the midst of kind of suffering. This is maybe not the first thing I would tell them is like, Oh, like all things are going to go yeah. good. Cause they're going to be like, well, it's not going good right now. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what God's doing. Like you want to sit with them in that first and yeah. then listen to them. And then, I mean, grieve with them first. Yeah. And then as kind of like the light is at the end of the tunnel, then of, of course we go to promises. We still want to go to promises in the front end, but I, I think yeah. Christians rightly intentioned and wrongly applied will go to this immediately and kind of brush off any suffering and say, well, go, it's, it's all for good. When somebody who's going through really rough stuff, who just had a cancer diagnosis, who lost their job and stuff, like you want to be with them in that first and then go yeah. to these promises with them as well. Mourn yeah. with those who mourn. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, one more thing I thought was really interesting and let you guys uh, respond to it is that that number 40 shows up, up again this time. Uh, it's 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 uh, it's Chuck Missler wearing his, his head again. <laughs> yeah. So it this time it's the amount of time Joseph instructs physicians to embalm his deceased father, Jacob, a.k.a. Israel, for 40 days. So where, what do we see there? <laughs> I have no idea. I don't have my I don't have my notes or my commentary, but I'm pretty sure that was like standard practice in that's Egypt. That's my guess. If some of these aren't yeah. as as uh, mystical as we think they are. Some of it's just like that's what you did. Yeah, I had to find, I had to find my note. I mean, I remember reading something of that and like tracking down some sources and whatnot. I'm pretty sure there was like a certain like period of time of mourning and like embalming and whatnot, like a like you know for the death of like high officials, you know, pharaohs and whatnot. So. It could have sure been like an ancient Middle Eastern practice that they did. Yeah, that sort but it's of not totally like... coincidental. I mean, it's got to point to the you know the Exodus coming up, or you know the number forties happening. Sometimes the... you have to be careful with numbers unless the text makes it pretty clear that yep. hey, this is being used for a very specific typological purpose. Um, I, this is where I think sometimes Spurgeon falls into some ruts where he. He takes some fanciful allegorical stuff with some text. I'm not terribly sure he should be taking, which, you know, it might be there and I might be totally kind of, I'm not, I'm not saying it's not, but sometimes it is like, it is a little coincidental that some of these numbers are in there and um, what they may well, be referring to. I tend to think it might not be like, there's something important to it because it it could be a totally different number. I, I think, there, it you don't have to read too much into it, but at the same time, be like, oh, this is a reminder, sure, yeah, that God is still at work, and this is pointing to Christ, um, and keeping the line going because yeah. Jacob, aka <clears throat> Israel, being embalmed for forty days is like Israel, the nation sure. after exile, wandering in the wilderness for forty years. I mean, we what, hear uh, what verse 40. is that again? By the way, just remind me. Uh, I didn't write down the exact verses, but numbers so maybe I... this this might help too it's it could be but there might be a bigger fuller purpose within the text that you want to run through versus one of the little strands because it's it is something like one of the famous examples of what spurgeon does with the the scarlet thread that yeah. um that uh, hangs down from rahab's house when uh the, the the spies get out and she's like oh he's he's like well that's of course christ's blood i was like you know what like it's not wrong. It's just maybe not what the text is trying to point out through that. Through that yeah. So it's 15. like Genesis 50 verse three, 40 days were required for it. That's, that's the length. That's the length of time. It says that's how, that's how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. So um, yeah. Um, he's also in a pagan land too. So you're not terribly sure what the numbers are doing or why they exist. 
Um, which it's like, I think the impulse is right. The, the instinct is right. But sometimes it's, is there going to be a fuller context for this? Or is that what so the, like, yeah. The Nahum is- Sarna who's a Jewish commentator says on that text, um, you know, it's not clear if the two periods of the 40 days of embalming and the 70 days of mourning um, were, um, were, uh, do they, were they consecutive or do they overlap? He says, we're not quite sure. Um, but he says there, there's like, ancient sources that describe a 30-day dressing of the corpse with oils and spices and 72 days of public mourning for a king. And the point he says is that Jacob, quote, Jacob is apparently being accorded royal honor. So yeah. that's um, that's probably like where you would go with that text a little bit more. Yeah. Is he's he's being understood as the king with dominion, maybe a little less so 40 days than 40 years with Israel. Yep. I got it. So yeah. cool. Well, I just wanted to uh Ask about that one. No, but, I think, uh, I, think that's a good, I, I think that's a really good question because I think a lot of preachers will sometimes run with some of these things hmm. when the text may be making a different or a fuller point than that one specific text is is trying to point out. Okay. Yep. Perfect. So next time we talk, we'll be in 400 years when we kick off Exodus. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's right. You got. All right, yeah, see you, you then. Got, yeah, you got <laughs> Exodus one, which has got some fun little connections at the end of Genesis. This mm-hmm. is this is all connected. Yep. So, but before in the Genesis, yeah, Genesis one, yeah, and the Genesis yeah. one, Genesis you get, one, you and, yeah, fun connections, yep. yeah, yeah. So, but I wanted to, so we didn't do this last time. I want to end with where where can you find us? And just so people missed it or didn't see it, you can find me at Redeemer Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Santa Maria, California. So if you want some Christ-centered preaching, you can come over there. If you don't already live there, Danny, where where can they find you? Uh, you can find me. Uh, at the Oceanside, sorry, I was thinking about something else. Uh, you can find me at at, at, at uh, Oceanside United Reformed Church. We meet uh, right on the border of Oceanside, Carlsbad, in uh, San Diego. So that's where I'm at. Well, that's I mean, I'm preaching. That's what I was thinking about. Like, well, where where am I? I'm right now in my office. But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Oceanside URC um, down here in San Diego. Love to have you. Love to welcome you. If you know anybody in the area, let them know that we exist. We preach the gospel every Sunday. We pray. We celebrate sacraments. Uh, yeah, you just find me mm-hmm. online. So, mm-hmm. cool. Uh, Nick, yeah. where can I find you? Or I guess the church that you go uh, to? Yeah, uh, this will be airing in January. I'll still be in California. Still a member at Trinity OPC. It's in South Orange County, Nay Park Church. Uh, John Morsh is the pastor there. It's an awesome church. And uh, yeah, that's where I'm a member at. Former so. intern at Oceanside URC. I might add. There you yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's, yeah, if you guys a lot want... of them out there. If you want that's what you do. Yeah, you I want spread a... my seed. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for that joke. Oh gosh, there's there's the joke. <laughs> Is that how we're ending the episode? So yeah, if you guys <laughs> you want some Christ-centered preaching, find find one of us. These three, and we'll put um, these links into our show notes, and we'll see you guys next week for the beginning of Exodus. Yep. See you in 400 years. Peace. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. In our seventh season, Jesus and All of Scripture. Please make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast catcher or on our YouTube channel. Give us a rating on Apple or Spotify and write a review. These really do help the show reach a wider audience as we continue with our goal of bridging the gap to reform Christian theology for all peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations. We'll see you next week for another episode.